Welcome to Prism Bible, where we learn the Bible so we can live the story. God has a part for each of us to play, and to understand our purpose, we need to grasp the big, beautiful story that's unfolding in history. Join us today as we see Israel in the promised land of Canaan, the rise of Israel's kings, and the rumblings of rebellion under the surface of the nation. You're listening to Prism Bible. In step three, which we labeled nation, we saw the Israelites freed from Egypt by the power of God. And we saw God use Moses to lead the nation into the wilderness on the way to the promised land of Canaan. Canaan was the destination because it was that land that was long ago promised to Abraham. However, on the way to Canaan, the people began to rebel against God and against Moses. They complained and even made false gods instead of worshiping the one true God. They were an unruly people, and God gave them a set of laws to follow as a nation. The journey in the wilderness lasted 40 years due to the rebellion among the people. But by the end of the 40 years, a new generation of Israelites was ready to enter the land of Canaan. Now before Moses dies in the wilderness outside of the land, he reminds the Israelites of the law that God gave them for the land. In fact, he spends most of the book of Deuteronomy in an extended monologue warning the people against disobeying the law. As part of this monologue, Moses announces the blessing and the curse. The blessing is the prosperity and the abundance that the Israelites will enjoy in the land as they love God, conquer the land, and follow the law that God had given them. The curses, in contrast, illustrate the awful consequences of falling away from God, resisting His rule, and forgetting the law. These curses include disease, famine, drought, and other awful things. But the culmination of the curse would be expulsion from the land of Canaan. Expulsion from the land, echoing back to the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the garden. Lest we forget, the law that God gave for the Israelites was serious business. So after Moses dies, a new man is appointed by God to lead the nation. This man's name is Joshua, and he leads the people in their initial conquest of the land, which is largely successful. However, soon after these great successes, the people start to disobey the law. Generations pass, and God places many different leaders called judges over the nation. The nation spirals and spirals into sin against God, but their rejection takes on an exclamation point when they demand something from God. Soon, they demand a king. They see all the nations around them being led by kings, and they decide that they want to be like those other nations. They don't like being led by a god they can't see. So after warning them that a king will tax them and force them to go to war, among other things, God eventually grants them a king. And the first king of Israel is a man named Saul, a man who would be a king like the other nations. Saul is anointed the king of Israel, in about 1050 BC. The nation is still in its campaign to drive the other peoples out of the land of Canaan, and much of what we learn about Saul is in the context of this military campaign. We especially learn that he can be impulsive and impatient, which becomes apparent when he breaks the law that God had given the nation just before a big battle. Immediately, God announces that the kingdom will be taken from Saul and given to another. So quickly, we meet the next king, David, 
a man who wouldn't lead like the other nations. No, this king would be a man after God's heart. David bursts onto the public scene in a famous battle. Saul and his army are hunkered down. They are in a sort of stalemate with the Philistines, one of their enemies within Canaan. And they are fearful of the one particular Philistine who towers above all the Israelites. He's the biggest man they've ever seen. This man comes out day after day to challenge the Israelites. He says that he will fight any man in Israel as a proxy for the battles that they had been fighting. If this Goliath won, the Israelites would be servants of the Philistines. But if the Israelite won, then the Philistines would be servants of the Israelites. Well, in the midst of this, the young man David visits the Israelite camp to see his brothers, and he hears this challenge by Goliath. Shocked that this man would withstand the people chosen by God to inherit the land, he challenges the Philistine, and young David says these words of faith as he faces the imposing enemy. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. Rather than trusting in his own power to defeat the large man, he trusts that God will give him victory over this Philistine adversary. But it's how David defeats the man that should make us very curious. Using a sling and a stone, David makes an attack, and the stone hits its mark. It sinks into Goliath's forehead, and he soon dies. A crushed head. This should make us think back to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember what God said about the seed of Eve? That he would be hostile to the serpent and crush his head. Here we have David, an offspring of Adam and Eve, who strikes his enemy with a deadly blow on the head. As readers of the Bible, at this point in the story, we should be asking, Is this the one? Is this the one who will defeat evil and bless the world? Later, we even see David wanting to honor God further by building a temple to worship him. Surely, this guy has to be the one. Well, as it turns out, he's not. He falls into sin against God as all the humans before him had done. Despite a promising beginning, he fails to resist evil and live up to God's righteous standard. Yet despite David's sin, God honors him with special promises. The promises to Abraham were called the Abrahamic covenant, and these promises that God makes to David are called the Davidic covenant. In this solemn pledge, God essentially tells David that because David sought to honor God and build him a temple, that God will give David three things. A dynasty, a throne, and an everlasting kingdom. This Davidic covenant is a promise of God to ensure that David will have a dynasty of kingly offspring on the throne over Israel and a kingdom that will last forever. Not only this, but in the covenant we find out that there will be a future king to whom God will be father and he will be son. It will be that future king that will be on David's throne forever. These are big promises. David is being told that his dynasty will culminate in a king who rules forever over Israel. These promises aren't alone, though, because they function as an intensification of the promises of the seed of Eve, the seed of Abraham, and now the seed of David. They're all speaking of the same person. We're getting the picture of one who will vanquish God's adversary, defeat his enemies, bless all the nations of the world, and rule as king over Israel. 
while David appeared to potentially be this figure at the beginning. Instead, we come to find out new and bigger expectations of the coming king. God is going to do something great, and we're getting glimpses at what he's going to do through the Davidic covenant, with promises of a dynasty, a throne, and an everlasting kingdom. Now, after David's reign, his son Solomon reigns in his place, and Solomon is the one that God allows to build a temple for him. The temple that Solomon builds becomes the great center of life for the people of Israel. This is the place where the substitution sacrifices are done, and the place where people go to be close to God. Solomon spends years building this magnificent house for God. The temple becomes the place where God dwells. It's the primary place where he makes his presence apparent on the earth. It's been nearly 500 years since the Exodus, and the young nation has become a powerhouse in the region, with wealth and prosperity in this new temple. Though they rebelled against God time and time again, they were yet blessed with leadership that turned the country toward him. Nowhere is this more exemplified in that King David, rising as a man after God's heart and leaving a faithful legacy for his son Solomon. Cracks, however, begin to form under the surface of the nation. Foes from within begin to threaten the unity of Israel, and soon rebellion breaks out in the ranks. Decades of strife among the tribes of Israel soon becomes civil war. Join us next time as we see the fallout of this rebellion. A splintered state turned away from the God who saved them. Don't forget to download the Prism Bible app, our mobile app to help you learn the Bible. In addition to this podcast content, we have Bible readings, summaries, and quiz questions on the app to help you get the most out of every lesson. Prism Bible is a project of the Bible Literacy Foundation, a nonprofit dedicated to helping you learn the Bible.